Thanks so much for joining us for Faith in Four Letter Words, where we talk about surviving the boys' club, perfect poly, and motherhood, all while living in a glass fishbowl. I'm Amanda. And I'm Tara Thomas. Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the confined spaces of our homes that we've come to embrace as also our office, where we do our workouts, where we binge eat. <laughs> for me, binge eat in front. Yeah, I was going to say now, not necessarily in that order. You mentioned this we've mentioned this many, many times when we've talked about our commonalities, but this at home confinement Mm. personifies those among us who are emotional based eaters. And what I mean by that is every day, just like any day when you wake up and you're going to have that, I'm going to be healthy and eat right or eat on track or stick to my plan day. And it can be for me any day of the week, or it could be a throw in the towel on a Friday and start over Monday. But you say to yourself, this day, I'm going to be good is how I sell it in my head. When that stressful virtual meeting or email or phone call or text happens, which for me every day, I have those roller coaster of emotions with all the work that we do. And for me as a communication person, I then immediately, if I'm at work, can go to that moment in my head where it's like, oh, this is when you would turn to the Oreos or whatever, but I'm at work. So I don't have access to my kitchen when I'm doing this at home and I'm going through these emotions I am like five feet away from diving into Carbville. And so it's very, very tough. And I think my husband, you know, it's such a love-hate balance because he has said to me, and I've told him before when I'm in a good headspace, like, I want you to stop me from overeating or please tell me, you know, to eat this instead of this. And then when you're in that moment where you're already upset, irritated, stressed, all of the above, the last thing that you want is somebody policing what you're eating. And so um, it's so we've yeah. learned, as many spouses do, to strike that balance where, okay, this isn't the time to tell her, put down, you know, the bread or whatever I'm eating. But this week it was funny because he did say to me, Oh, do you want a pork chop or chicken or something that he was gonna make for the kids? And then I said, Nope, I've already been off my diet for the last two hours eating everything in sight. <laughs> Well, see, Hector knows better because um, if he would tell me, even if I did tell him, if he would tell me, you know, or ask, do you really want to eat that? He would be missing two kneecaps, (laughs) especially the amount of stress I'm in. And it's, I'm fine all day long. I'm fine all day. It is after everyone's in bed. It's around 8.39 o'clock. I will go for my salty fix that I need. And it's, you know, goldfish crackers. I mean, it's, or I'll make some tater tots in the air fryer. It is because <laughs> that's exa- I'm still on that news life schedule when we would get right, home. Where you're hungry late. Yes. Yes. Midnight. And that is where I would just kind of um, decompress my day and decompress. So it was that high, that high stress, very emotional because all the stuff we went through. Um, mm-hmm. And then it was alone time and you didn't have to talk to anybody. You can just sit there and watch mindless reality television. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. I so relate to that. I so relate to you. And I still do it. Like last night, I, what was I? Oh, Real Housewives of New York. <laughs> Watching that, the new season, I made myself some nachos. Those are my go-to as well. Yes. Because, and here's what I love. And we have to have another podcast about mindless entertainment because I love when, 
we both and and every woman really experiences this. You want that escapism, but you want it to validate your life. And so for me, it's like, oh, am I aspiring to be like one of these, you know, women, shallow level women, oftentimes on Real Housewives? Absolutely not. But it is validating that I am such a better wife and mother. I want that affirmation. So yes, part of watching it is not to compare yourself as much as it as it's to check yourself and say, wait a minute. I am pretty engaged with my family. I'm not, you know, going out with the girls drinking every night or anything even close to that. So it's really a way to kind of reinforce that we're not, we don't need to be so hard on ourselves because we're not as bad as, you know, some of these women that have bigger problems that are playing out on Bravo for sure. I don't know. I just had uh, two, two of my, uh, I hear the little ones interrupting. I mean, they found me. I'm like way Your back interns. in the hiding, and they all found found me. I'm literally going to have to get up, girls. I'll be right back. This is real life. So, <laughs> so I okay. have to tell you something. You will, you will appreciate this, girls. I'll be back. Okay, mommy loves you. Keep jumping on your sister's bed. I'll be back. Keep jumping on your sister's bed. <laughs> Hopefully I'm not losing. I'm literally going to walk up the steps. So this is, this is what, this is what we're talking about. No, I can still hear you fine. 27 balls in the air and I'm walking up to my main area and I'm looking at my oldest daughter. I'm recording this podcast. Can you please get your sisters? Thanks. (laughs) Can you believe you can't even make, make this up. Okay. I, before as you get your your family settled here, yes. I have to mention, speaking of mindless television, my stepdaughter out in Washington State, who's in her early 30s, is dating somebody but is single. She told me that she had started watching that show that's been popular that comes up when you go log into Netflix, at least when I log in. Love is Blind. I watched. Okay, we're still. Yes, we're still getting through Tiger King, which that's another story. But anyway, Love is Blind. I start watching it. I was crying in the first episode, tearing up in the first episode. And I was laughing at myself because I'm not really a Bachelor, Bachelorette fan. It sucked me in only because of the whole nature of they are making connections purely based on personality and nothing about appearance or anything shallow. I mean, it's like they're bonding through these pods where they can't see the other person. So now I'm like into the show. So I can't wait to call Taylor and talk to her about, okay, don't, don't spoil it. Like who, who makes it, who doesn't, who gets married, who breaks up. I'm like, and this was one episode that I started watching last night. So it's now I've, I've kind of got another guilty pleasure outside of the Real Housewives franchise. I know. I mean, like I have had to move on. I I've tried to find good stuff. There's um one on Hulu. And the only thing I don't like about Hulu is that you have to wait a whole week, <laughs> but little fires everywhere. Mm-hmm. Oh spoon. yeah. I wondered if that was good. And now it's just good. having seen her Carrie in the morning Washington, show. Carrie Washington is amazing. She's an amazing actress and she just hits it. It is so good. But this is what I want. This is what I wanted to tell you before my um, two year old and four year old interns <laughs> came in. <laughs> um, so you remember how it was working in the news, especially when there was something big happening. And so we were used to being controlled. We were told what we could say and what we couldn't say, what we, sh- you know, and people in the community were used to having that control over us as well. So if we aired something or posted something that somebody in the community didn't like, 
it was a phone call away to our superiors. And then, you know, we were put in place, correct? Right. Yes. So I um, called some people out recently on some decisions. And I got a nasty phone call from some people. And they were very upset and they were demanding that I take it down, remove it, change this. Please say this. I need you to blog about this. I need you to do a podcast about this. It was basically like, F you. You do. You have zero control over me anymore. And they were so taken back by that. They were so taken back by that because they're not used to it. Well, I'm going to call your well, – call, call my board of directors. Call, this is – and that's what – it took me back and I started laughing. I'm thinking, thank God. Thank God. I mean, I do miss being, um, working in the media when something like this happens, because it was kind of like we talked about before in a previous episode, it was that it calmed us, you know, it's um, being able to reach out and talk to somebody and let them know, look, look, this is what we know. We're going to be all right. That was also therapeutic for, for me, but I don't do assume that role with people through the families I work with and the students through the district. So it is interesting that I still have that desire somewhat fulfilled, like you described. And I didn't even realize until you just explained that, that I am now able to channel that kind of hopeful, calm, cool, collective voice through the work that I do with a school district, because you're right with you now running a nonprofit, it would be a completely different way that you would engage with people. Well, and I think people know right now, and they know you and I pretty well, locally, regionally, that whatever comes out of our mouth, we mean it. We're not going to sugarcoat it. Um, they know that we have fact checked, you know, 50 different times. And so they know they can trust us and we're not blown smoke up anybody's ass. Yeah, so that's, that's true. why I want people to know, like, this is what you need to know. And so people trust us. And so when I put out what I put out, people just, these people just didn't like it because they're not used to controlling. They're used to controlling their narrative, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever agenda they want it to push. And finally, there's people out here who are going to be like, you know what? No, I'm going to expose you. And that doesn't really happen with a lot of journalists these days. Oh, (laughs) absolutely not. And unfortunately, a lot of journalists that we are familiar with across the country, and it's not their fault, it's the nature of the business, they wouldn't have years and years of building up personal connections and ties and relationships in the communities that they are serving as journalists. And so what I see a lot of, and I know we've talked about this because they're, because the information is flowing so frequently, so fast and often without a lot of fact checking across multiple platforms. So it could be a direct, a breaking news email. It could be a text. It could go on the app. It could go on a website before it even ever hits the print or broadcast. What I see, I see this tunnel vision where the same reporter will grab a press release and turn it into an, a web story. And then another reporter or an anchor will then take that same story. And then in another news cycle, 24 or 48 hours later, they will populate that or share that content as if it's new material. So it's actually a benefit as for us and for other entities that you might get your story or whatever information you're trying to share cycled through more than one time because the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. And I always think that that's so bizarre that you wouldn't, as a reporter, take the time. I guess you're so focused on your responsibilities and what you're doing. But we used to actually know or connect with reporters through meetings and other channels to say, okay, so-and-so already covered that. So-and-so already reached out to her. 
why are you doing the same story with the same limited set of people and resources? It blows my mind. Right. right. You know, I was watching something circle on social media and some watching some news coverage, um, both local, you know, state, national level type of thing. And, you know, people were, you know, we have good news today. We're going to report how many people are surviving COVID-19. This is why I don't like that. And, and I'm going to be plain and clear. And that's what people are focusing on. And they want to focus on the news story because they want to offer hope. I think it's giving false hope. And Absolutely. Because it's giving people the false sense of security. Because if you start telling people, if we don't focus on, you have to focus on the doom and gloom because this is very serious. This is very serious. And if you do not, and if you want to ignore it, continue to ignore it, you are giving people a false sense of security. So people will continue to pack right. in box stores and go and gallivant and act like it's freaking Black Friday out there. Yes. That's why you don't. So it's like, but, I'm tired. You know, people are saying, Amanda, you need to look for the hope. Guess what? I trust false hope. I look at false hope as much as I trust a unicorn to come, you know, rolling in my garage. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. I want to be, I want to be a realist. I want people to understand. It is not normal that a thousand people are dying a day in our country. Right, it is right, not normal. But, but we also have to qualify the interpretation of news. It is not the job of the news people to boost your spirits and you know pat you on the back. And what they're doing as communicators, though often biased and tweaked and, and with somebody's particular bent involved in how they write or deliver the story, the fact is that they are doing coverage of events that deviate from the norm. So as you just described, thousands of Americans dying from a virus that is now a, a pandemic, that is a very sad and negative story. And it and no one can stress how much they do need to hit the harsh reality of the situation for what you just said, because it's not their job to convince you that everything is awesome. I mean, you're reporting on the reality and really imparting the need to know information. And what we need to know, the headline is you and your family can perish from this. That's the headline. Right. So I think people forget that it's not the job of a journalist to present everything as glass half full and pump you up so you can face the day in a positive mindset. And I used to get really bothered, and I still do, when people would criticize the media all the time saying, oh, it's so negative, it's, it, it's so negative. Yeah, it is negative if a thousand children every day make it to and from school safely on a bus or in a car. It's horribly tragic if one person gets in a crash and dies, and it happens to be a child, in this case, you know, going to school. That is deviating from the norm because that's the news element of it, because it's not status quo. And so I think by nature of a business that is going to report on what is not normal and what was the exception to the rule, it's going to be of a negative level in terms of how it's delivered and received. And so they're just doing their jobs. Well, yeah, you know, and it's that's why you and I being a former journalist, you know, we're still, we're still journalists. We know, and we look ahead, like you and I saw this coming weeks before it came. We knew that the schools were going to close because we were watching, look, we were looking ahead because we were following the CDC and we were watching all these states before us, the Washington state, New York state, New Jersey, Maryland, Pennsylvania. We saw it. We saw what was happening overseas. Right. So I was, I thought it was laughable that people are sharing, um, the story from Dr. Drew, 
the who was telling everybody that the media was hyping this up. This is no big deal. The man is a love and sex therapist. I don't give a shit what he has to say about a deadly Mm -hmm. virus. You know what I mean? Like I I was like blown away. Well, aren't you the one who shared that Sean Penn was weighing in? Yes, on CNN. On a station, on on, on a cable news station. And I thought, really? I mean, I don't even trust the guy in, you know, some acting scenarios unless everything, unless he's being, you know, given every word to say and direction from a director, let alone how he's going to tell me to protect my family from a virus. Right. So I don't know why, what people have, like, please listen to the experts. Like, that's the one, we can say it over and over and again, you know, and I just, I cannot, but it's not like, it's not media. It is not media hype. And it's, you know. And the other thing that, that we need to stress, because you and I, one thing that I have to say too, before we close out is for me, faith is paramount. And in these situations, I, I really do believe that there is the silver lining of you can accept, uh, you know, unfortunately, because you're forced to that you're not in control. And so for me, I do turn over a lot of my life and the way that I approach things day to day to God and, and prayer and just focusing on my faith has really been central to me getting through this from an emotional standpoint. And then also to rest in that place of hope. I definitely believe that this is the time to grow that spiritual faith and relationship in your life. And and as a family, that's been really important to us. But the reason that I say that is to just say that you have to let go of what you think needs to be a guarantee, such as an Easter celebration with your family, an opportunity to have, you know, grandparents around for a child's birthday party. You have to let go of all that. You have to in your mind, except that for one short period of time, because in the scheme of our lives, a few months is a short period of time, you have to let everything go that you feel you are entitled to, because it's no longer a right. It's not, in many respects, it's always a privilege that we get to do these things, but it's not a right for you to be able to go to an Easter church celebration or have your family over for dinner if it involves putting people at risk. It's not, we shouldn't be doing it. I, uh, I saw something recently, somebody, uh, uh, somebody I went to high school with had, had posted, you know, if God was so good, then why would he ever let the virus exist in the first place? And it's, I being Catholic, we traditionally, we, we keep everything very, very private. You know, we go to church, we pray quietly. We don't really quote Bible verses, you know, um, it's just, it's not saying it's different. I mean, it's, that's just being cast. I don't know. I don't even know where I'm going with this. So I'm not used to quoting Bible verses, but I know this one and it's in Peter and it says, so be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire test and purifies gold, though your faith is far more pressure than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus is revealed to the whole world. So it's kind of, you know, and broken down, it reminds me of my things my dad used to say to me when I'd be like, woe is me when, you know, things would happen. And he, he would say, Mandy, what's faith? And I'm like, what? He goes, what's faith? He's like, faith is believing in something that you can't see, but you know that it's there. And, he would break down. and that's why I have, you know, because anytime anything goes wrong in, in my past, I was always like, God, why, why, why me? Why me? 
when it finally I started giving, like you said, I give it all. I give all my worry to him. So it's tattooed on my foot. It says, give me strength when I'm standing and faith when I fall. Because it's that that's what we need right now. I mean, that's, I and I that. you know what I mean? Because it's it's the truth. That's the that's the only thing we have right now. And I shouldn't even see only thing. That's a powerful thing to have. It's very powerful. And and for all of the Christians listening, or for those of you who are considering having a relationship with Jesus Christ, in my case, somebody who didn't become a Christian until I was 28 years old, I would really encourage you, this is the time when Christians have to rise up and be the role models for others when it comes to putting all these Bible verses that we do share and everything that you've ever claimed to believe when you go to Sunday service, when everything in your life is going well and status quo, it's at times like this when we have to be the ones to step out in our faith and turn over that anxiety and worry to God and to trust in the process and know like Amanda described, that all of this worry and fear and a lot of the things that we're projecting onto ourselves and our and others is human nature. And it's not the nature that you as a Christian are expected to, you know, carry out in your day-to-day life. We truly are supposed to relinquish that control to God. And so for me, it's way more challenging in these circumstances than obviously when things are in a more comfort or cush existence, but this is the time when as Christians, we have to rise up and be in prayer for others and set an example that you cannot and should never let a COVID-19 situation trump the power and faith that you have in in Christ or, or, or God. And, and I am gonna go political a little bit on that to say that for me as a Christian, I do believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And so that is different, I know, from other faiths and religions, but that's not to in any way judge somebody who chooses to pursue the guidance of a higher power that they wouldn't say is Jesus. Right. I I, I just, I, just uh, I don't know. I think at the end of the day, you know, think about it right now. What are we doing at home? You know, for for most of us, we're very fortunate. Our lives have now come to a halt. We're having dinner right. at the dinner table with our families. We are more invested in our children. Um, we are looking for creative ways to make sure our children um, are happy. They're challenged. They feel loved. They feel safe. Um, it's um, we're going to come out of this completely different. I don't like. I, I'm sorry, but I don't like cheesy things when people are like, you know, we're you know, nation strong. Iowa strong. We are, you know, we're going to get better. Like it's, I'm not ready for that cheesy, you know, moment yet, because I just think that this is so severe that I can't even comprehend. Um, right. I, I agree think, with you on that. I think family units are going to come out feeling more, you know, appreciative of one another or learning more about one another, you know, I mean, I've learned that's my hope. Almost, almost, almost embarrassed to say this. I've learned more about my four children and I've seen different personalities in them so much these past two weeks than their entire lives. And that's something. Wow. That's powerful. So it's, we're going to get, we're going to get through it, but we just need to, let's, we're not above it. So I hope everybody is just following guidelines and um, doing everything we need to do to keep, it's not just your family safe. We need to keep each other safe. <laughs> 